0: It's Friday, February 7th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. It's Friday night, and some of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates are hoping to put this no good, very bad week behind them at tonight's debate. Then, football season is back? Kind of. We'll tell you about the brand new football league that you can bet on, literally. And finally, someone to keep an ear out for at the Oscars on Sunday. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. In just a few hours, we'll be tuning in to the eighth Democratic presidential debate. Yes, there have been that many. Seven of the current 11 candidates vying for the Democratic nomination will take the stage. So we've got, deep breath, former VP Joe Biden. Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren, former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, and billionaire Tom Steyer. Hopefully candidates got some debate prep in, because this has been a big week. From wrapping up President Trump's Senate impeachment trial, followed by his State of the Union address, the big topic overshadowing tonight might be, what happened in Iowa? The Iowa caucuses were Monday night, but thanks to an app failure, among other things, we didn't get the full results until last night. And after all that drama, there still wasn't even a clear winner. But it looks like it's a virtual tie between Sanders and Buttigieg. The caucus results were so problematic that the Democratic National Committee chair, Tom Perez, called on the Iowa Democratic Party to re-canvas. Meaning, instead of a recount, let's review all the math to make sure the results are correct. Cue flashbacks to calculus class. If the limit never approaches anything, the limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. As for Buttigieg and Sanders, let's just say they have reached their limit. As in, for them, it's time to move on. Here's Sanders at the CNN town hall last night. We've got enough of Iowa. I think we should <laughs> move on to New Hampshire. I mean, and Mayor Pete on Pod Save America. Our focus now has to be on the uh, uh, the immediate future. But what happened in Iowa is definitely not staying in Iowa. The thing about the Iowa caucuses is that they're supposed to fuel the momentum of candidates as they move forward in the primaries. Candidates pour in millions of dollars into their campaigns there, hoping that, if they win, raising money after Iowa gets a lot easier. But this year's glitchy caucus screwed that up, and now candidates have got their minds on their money and their money on their minds. After the Iowa fallout, both Biden and Warren are canceling some of their ad campaigns in upcoming states and sent out emails before tonight's debate asking for donations. According to Biden's campaign, they need more donations to succeed in next week's New Hampshire primary. Meanwhile, Buttigieg's campaign is trying to court Biden voters away and be all, hey, the grass is greener over here. But now Iowa is in the rearview mirror because tonight's debate is in New Hampshire. We could see candidates maybe questioning where they stand in the race, Depending on how their Iowa results turned out, they might be saving face and reassuring their supporters, don't panic, everything is fine, totally fine. So who said an existential crisis isn't a great way to spend a Friday night? The debate starts at 8 p.m. Eastern and will be broadcast on ABC and available to stream online. ABC is actually co-hosting the event with WMUR-TV and Apple. During the week, people have been able to submit questions for candidates through the Apple News app, so we might see some of those asked tonight by moderators. For more on the road to 2020, check out the slash election. You can believe that Harvey Weinstein is a sinner, and you can believe that he did things that you wouldn't do or you don't like. But my question here is, does that rise to the level of crime? That's Donna Rattuno, the lead defense lawyer for Harvey Weinstein, This morning, she was on the New York Times podcast, The Daily, talking about her client's case. Remember, sexual assault allegations against Weinstein put the Me Too movement in the national spotlight back in 2017. And now, the disgraced movie mogul has pleaded not guilty to five felony counts in a New York City court. Those charges include rape, criminal sexual act, and predatory sexual assault. Just a heads up, we're going to be talking about some of the allegations now, which may be disturbing for some listeners. The trial has been going on since the beginning of January. The prosecution went first in presenting its case. The argument rests on the allegations of two women, Miriam Haley and Jessica Mann. Haley was a production assistant on the show Project Runway in 2006. She claimed she was at Weinstein's apartment when he pushed her into his bedroom and forcibly performed oral sex, even though she had protested. Meanwhile, Mann was an aspiring actress who had developed a sexual relationship with Weinstein, even though she found it, quote, degrading but she alleges there was an incident in which he forced her to have sex without protection. Their testimonies were supported by four other women who the prosecution was allowed to call in, including Annabella Sciorra, an actress from The Sopranos. Some of their allegations fall outside of the statute of limitations, so they aren't bringing any charges in this trial, but they were still allowed to testify to help the prosecution build its case. The women all described a pattern of seemingly benign actions from Weinstein, like career advice or gifts. Then it escalated to unwanted sex acts, in some cases, rape. Both Haley and Mann described attempts to maintain a relationship with Weinstein after the alleged crimes. There were emails checking in on him and sometimes consensual sex. To be clear, that's not uncommon. A forensic psychologist explained on the stand that some victims will bury the trauma or blame themselves so they maintain a relationship with their attacker. And the prosecution says Weinstein had a lot of power in Hollywood, so the women wanted to stay on his good side. That's how the prosecution framed its case. Now it's the defense's turn. Weinstein's team is going to try to discredit the women who testified. Weinstein is denied having non-consensual sex, and his team thinks those email receipts will help him out. And today, the courtroom heard from a psychology expert who's written a lot about false memories. She didn't get into the details about the Weinstein case, but kind of suggested his accusers might not be remembering things accurately. We heard at the top of this segment that Weinstein's top lawyer, Rotuno, gave a preview of the defense's argument to the New York Times. And when asked about accusers who say that they stayed in contact with Weinstein partly because they thought he could hurt or harm their careers, Rotuno turned the attention on the alleged victims. These are still choices that women are making. And whether they're choices you're happy you made or not happy you made, you still made a choice. And women have to start owning those choices, and they either have to say, I'm not going to do these things to attempt to get a job, or I'm going to own my choice for making that decision. It's still not clear whether Weinstein will take the stand in his own defense. But at the end of the day, more than 80 women have alleged that Weinstein sexually assaulted or harassed them. And the Me Too movement those allegations helped launch gave people around the world the words to say, this also happened to me. And that legacy will still likely exist, regardless of whatever happens in the courtroom. Last fall, our other podcast, Skim from the Couch, interviewed the two journalists who broke the story of the allegations against Weinstein back in 2017. Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy of The New York Times and Cantor addressed that legacy. We don't know what's gonna happen in this courtroom, but we've heard and documented and researched these women's stories, and we wanna create a lasting record of his legacy as, as someone who used work to terrify and coerce women, allegedly. That legacy could end up lasting longer than Weinstein's possible life sentence. Football is back. Yeah, the Super Bowl was less than a week ago, but more football kicks off on Saturday. That's because there's a new league in town called the XFL. Get excited for eight brand new teams like the Houston Roughnecks and the St. Louis Battlehawks. Someone was clearly pounding five hour energies when they thought of those. The XFL is also saying we're football, but different. Fans should expect more plays, less downtime, and more scoring opportunities. This has been sensational. But the biggest thing that's different about the XFL may have to do with gambling. Because when games are televised on networks like Fox, ABC, and ESPN, something else will be on the screen right next to the score. Gambling odds. Historically speaking, this is huge. Sports leagues used to keep away from gambling like the plague. That's fair, since for a long time, sports betting was illegal in most states and largely happened on the black market. But then came 2018. That's when the Supreme Court struck down a federal law that basically banned states from legalizing sports betting. After that, a bunch of states raced to legalize it and the industry exploded. Ads for sites like DraftKings and FanDuel are now everywhere. Online bookies let people bet on everything from golf to the Oscars. Major sports leagues also smell opportunity, and the launch of the XFL this weekend will likely showcase the closest marriage of live sports and live betting we've ever seen. That's great if you want more things to bet on, but the idea of making sports betting easier than ever makes others nervous. The more opportunities to bet within a game increases the risk of gambling problems. That's Keith White. He's the executive director of the National Council on Problem Gambling, White says when states or sports leagues like the XFL make it easier to bet, they should be dedicating more resources to encourage responsible gambling. Unfortunately, he's not seeing that. His organization hasn't even heard from the XFL. And he says among the states that have legalized sports betting recently, a third of them haven't devoted more resources to help gambling addicts. So the, the safety net that exists now is tattered and in some places non-existent. The issue here is bigger than any one sport. White says at first, a gambling addiction may be hard to spot. After all, gambling addicts abuse money, not drugs. But like other addictions, it feeds on shame and stigma and has some familiar sounding warning signs. If you can't set and stick to a limit of the time and money you spend gambling, you know, if you find when you're stressed, that you go and you stop off the local convenience store and and you buy a lot of lottery tickets, or that, you know, when you're angry at your spouse, you may wind up at a casino or you may you know, be playing on a little bingo. And now, disappearing into a casino is as easy as picking up your phone and turning on some football. But thankfully, gambling addiction is treatable. Which means if you or someone you know is struggling with gambling, there are resources out there to help. We'll have the phone number for the National Problem Gambling Helpline in our show notes. Before we go today, we've got one person to keep an eye out for at your Oscars watch party. Every year, the Academy Awards brings not just some of the best actors under one roof, but also a talented team of musicians. We're talking a 42-piece live orchestra. And this Sunday, for the first time since the Oscars began almost a century ago, we'll see a female conductor up on the podium. Her name is Emer Noon, and her resume is high key. The Irish conductor leads up to 50 concerts per year around the globe, but that's not her only claim to fame. She's also considered one of the world's top conductors of video game soundtracks, like World of Warcraft. So yeah, she's pretty major. She'll take the baton to lead excerpts from the five nominated Best Original Scores, including Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and Little Women. One thing she won't be in charge of? Cutting people off during their thank you speeches. Lucky for her, that's someone else's job. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.